I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of all of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through, and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem, in the service of the saints there, for Macedonia and Achaia were, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task, and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you, be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, this week saw the uh, sad death of one of my great heroes, Bobby Robson, one who led Ipswich Town to FA Cup and UEFA Cup success at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, uh, when they would be regularly in the, uh, what is the equivalent of the Premiership today. It's been interesting reading the, the obituaries because I don't think I've found a negative comment to have been said about him. And yet, there was a time when he managed England when he came in for a lot of stick. And uh, the, the tabloids would be full of headlines saying, Robson out, sack Robson. And eventually prompted him to spend many years managing clubs overseas where his uh, efforts were, were more rewarded. And the Apostle Paul is someone who 
himself experienced a fair amount of opposition during his ministry. It wasn't just from those outside the church, but also from within, both physical and verbal. And he knew that Christian ministry meant being involved in what he called a struggle. But he wasn't ashamed to make a passionate plea to his fellow believers to join him in that struggle by praying for him. And it wasn't if you read these verses here, a, look, I know you're busy, but you know, if you've got spare time, we'd quite appreciate it if you wouldn't mind just praying for what I'm up to. No, verse 30 there says, I urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul knows how important prayer is. He knows how effective it is. And he knows how much he needs the prayers of others. And so he urges them to pray for him. And the basis of Paul's plea is that we are all brothers and sisters here together. We share the same Lord and Master. And he's saying, let us fight together. Because prayer is a spiritual weapon. And as we're told in, in Ephesians, we are in a spiritual battle. And we need to use all the weapons that are at our disposal. And Paul here is not just appealing to their love for him, but he's also appealing to their experience of Jesus Christ in their lives. It's the same language he uses in Philippians when he says there, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then... Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And on he goes. That plea, like this one, comes from the encouragement we have from being united with Jesus Christ, the comfort that we have from his love. And he's saying, if you have the love of the Spirit in you, then surely you must want to demonstrate that love by praying for me. And as Christians, we can talk a good game. We can work hard in the church. But ultimately, the health of our relationship with Jesus Christ can be seen in our prayer life. How we are when we are on our knees before him. And I hope this uh, series on prayer over the next few weeks will encourage us to spend more time in prayer and less time in less meaningful activities. We've already learned from Paul about particularly praying for others from this passage, praying for the ministry of others, fruitful ministry, which is what we're looking at this evening. Well, first of all, praying for the ministry of others is joining with them in their struggle. There are not many people who could put up with what Paul had to put up with in his ministry. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was stoned, he experienced shipwreck a number of times. He went without food, without drink, without sleep, often without shelter. And we might not have those same struggles today in our situation, but Christian ministry is a struggle. And whether it's preaching, whether it's uh, leading a, a group, whether it's shifting chairs, whether it's sorting out the sound, the projection, arranging the flowers... And we could go on and on. It requires commitment, it requires dedication, it requires hard work, as you all know. 
And there may be some areas of Christian ministry we look at and, and think, well, I wonder how he or she does that. I really admire them for that. I could never do that myself. And the thing is that even though we might not be able to do it ourselves, we can join in that ministry because we can pray for it. And that goes for all, every one of us here this evening. Even if you are no longer physically mobile and you're no longer able to get physically involved in certain areas of ministry, you can still join in at home by prayer. And you may ask, well, how does simply praying for someone share in that struggle? Now, surely, just to pray for someone, that's a bit of an easy option, isn't it? When we say that prayer is never an easy option, I'm sure we all know that. You know, often, I'm sure you'll have found that uh, prayer is, is harder than actually doing the ministry itself at times. There are lots of things that will distract us from prayer. Maybe the sound of uh, an electric guitar twanging in the room above you, as I've held myself this week, having to put up with. It may be the urgency of something else you just have to, to do. That must take priority in your eyes. It may just be the greater preference of staying a little longer in bed in the morning. And it may just be, well, I'm not really in the mood for prayer. I'll wait till I'm in the mood for it, when I'm ready for it. And whatever those distractions are, all of them are the devil trying to disarm us. Because if prayer is a spiritual weapon, then when we don't pray, we've been disarmed. I recommended this book um, by Don Carson before. Um, it is probably the best book on prayer you can get hold of. So, again, if you haven't got it, do try and lay your hands on it. Um, title's a bit off-putting, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Um, But what it's best basically saying is the most important thing for us is the closeness of our relationship with God. And the way we get close to God is through our prayer life. And at one point uh, in the book, Carson discusses some of the reasons why we don't take spiritual warfare in the West quite as seriously as they do in many other countries of the world. And uh, they on the one hand, be because of the centuries of Christian influence in the, in the West. But he also suggests it may be a result of the Western world view that sees everything very much in, in physical and material terms, rather than spiritual terms. And that goes for Christians as well. And he gives an example of when Christians are a bit fed up or they're depressed. Instead of seeing that as a spiritual attack, the, the tendency will be to, well, maybe just... Um, have a good meal, go out for a drink, you know, go shopping, watch a film, whatever it takes to, to take your mind off it. Rather than as Paul would do here, when he struggles with issues in life, and let's face it, he's more than his fair share of difficulties, he will turn to prayer. He recognises it's a spiritual attack and he will turn to prayer. <clears throat> well, can I encourage you, or rather can I urge you, as Paul did, to join with others in their ministry by prayer. And for those who are leading particular ministries here and who are in need of prayer of others, there is a, 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 a burden on you to let people know about what your prayer requests are, to communicate what is going on in that ministry. Not simply to say, well, please pray for us, but say, what are the specific issues you need prayer for? And let people know as those prayers are answered so you can encourage them to carry on praying for you. 
if we're going to ask for prayer, we need to, to thank those who are praying and keep them informed. Well, the second issue these verses raise in terms of praying for the ministry of others is that we do need to pray for specific issues. You know, one level, there's nothing wrong for, uh, with um, praying for the future of the church, that God will bless us in very general terms. But what are the real issues that we are grappling with right now where we need the Lord's help? In Paul's uh, case here, in these last few verses of that uh, passage, there are two specific issues which he asks for prayer. Look at verse 31. He says, Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. What is that about? Who are the the unbelievers, or literally the disobedient in Judea. Well, if you look back a few verses to verse 25, you will see that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. He's gathered a collection from the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, and he's taking it to be distributed amongst the poor in Jerusalem. This is a collection from the Gentile believers to the Jewish believers. So you might think, well, why is he going to face opposition? Surely if, if he's bringing these, these gifts to um, the church in Jerusalem, why is he going to face opposition? Well, because outside the, the believing community, there would be Jews who had not been converted, who saw Paul as a threat to their religion. And the Jews consider themselves very much set apart by their, their cultural heritage, their observance of, of ritual, And here comes Paul, who is establishing a a new community. A community which um, included both Jews and Gentiles, which he claimed to be of God. And so he was undermining the authority of the Jewish leaders in in Judea, as Jesus himself had done. And as a result, he was on the the hit list for, for these Jews. And if you read through the book of Acts, you will see many examples of Paul being persecuted by unbelieving Jews. Acts 9, it says he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. As Paul and Barnabas went on their mission trip, they they too experienced much resistance. In Acts 14, it says, the Jews in Iconium, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. As Paul and Barnabas fled to, to Lystra, it says, Some Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. And so it carries on in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Corinth, in Ephesus. Unbelieving Jews stirring up trouble for Paul, threatening his life. And these are not just people who happen to have different beliefs from Paul. These are those who rejected God, who expressed that rejection of God by trying to destroy one of God's messengers. Well, all these uh, incidents I've just mentioned, they happened before Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. But Paul was aware right until the end that his life was constantly under threat. I mean, he could have simply thought, well, you know, the Lord has always protected me. I'm, I'm not really in danger. He'll carry on protecting me. But he didn't take that protection for granted. He continually asked his fellow Christians to pray for him, that he'll be kept safe 
from the unbelievers. That's Paul's first specific request. What about the second one? In, still in verse 31, it says, Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. And then he carries on, And that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. His first request was about how he'd be received by unbelievers. The second was how he would be received by believers, by saints. Of course, according to the Bible, all believers are saints, not just those who've been canonised by the Roman Catholic Church. And again, you may think here, well, surely if he's going there bearing gifts for them, you know, they're going to be pretty pleased, aren't they? They're going to find that very acceptable. But of course, sadly, even when things are done in Christian love, they're not always received in that way. These gifts may have been received with with suspicion, with scepticism, particularly since they were coming from the Gentile believers. Or they may just have been received with a lack of gratitude, both to those Christians giving them and also to God himself. Because that is Paul's desire. If you just turn briefly to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 on page 1164. Paul writing here to the church in Corinth. This is what he says in verse 12 of chapter 9. He says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. People are praising God because of this uh, service of the saints. Well, these were the two specific requests that Paul asked for, for his ministry. And the specific request that we have for our ministry may be different, but also they may be quite similar. After all, there is still a threat to our ministries from unbelievers in this place today and at this time um, in, in, in our lives, in the countries where some of our missionaries are. There are real-life threats. We were praying earlier for, um, for John and Abby going back to Nigeria. There has been violence this week in the area where they're going to. Christians have been killed. Churches have been burnt down. Well, Alex Matthews working in India, we heard last year of Christians again having their their homes burnt, their churches burnt down, running for their lives, thousands fleeing for their lives, becoming homeless. And in this country, we may not be um, in threat of physical persecution for our faith, but there is a, a constant pressure from certain elements to discriminate against those with Christian beliefs, to erode our freedom of speech. And we can't take it for granted that we always have the freedom of speech that we enjoy today. And we prayed also for the Christian Institute, a ministry which would very much, I'm sure, welcome your prayers. As we do God's work here in Long Crendon, we will meet opposition. On one level, it may express itself in objections to the building project because of of parking, because of inconvenience. But at another level, it is a spiritual attack against the work of the gospel. And let's not underestimate that. So there's a threat to our ministry from unbelievers, but there's also a possibility that our ministry is not found acceptable by believers, by those in the church. And there will be stuff that uh, we as pastors do, that we 
as elders do or people leading different ministries will do with great sincerity but it can easily be misunderstood. Uh, Negative comments can be made which are supposedly harmless but which can have quite a destructive impact and can be a real discouragement to those trying to do God's work. It often comes when people are so focused on something which is very important to them and because that particular thing might not be given the attention they think it deserves, um, they lose sight of all the other good stuff that is going on. So let's be aware of that danger in all of us as we attach importance to specific needs so we don't end up discouraging those who really need our support in their ministry. Well, the third issue here of praying for the ministry of others means wanting the gospel to grow. Having given his two specific requests, Paul adds a reason why he wants prayer for these things. Look at verse 32. He carries on, So that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. What is he getting at here? Is he saying... I want to get this job done in Jerusalem so that I can come to you, so that I can have a good rest. You know, I'm really in need of a, a holiday at the moment. I'm exhausted. Well, I'm not sure that's the reason. If we look up at uh, verse 23, what he says there is he's been longing for many years to see them. And he carries on, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. He wants to see them. He wants to enjoy their company. But he's on his way to Spain. Why does he want to go to Spain? Is it to catch a few rays on the Costa del Sol? Well, I don't think so. Because again, if you look back at verse 20... Here it says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And carrying on in verse 23, Now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, he says, I plan to go to Spain. And you see what's happening here? Paul's specific calling is as a pioneer evangelist to take the gospel to places that have yet to be evangelised. And he considers he's exhausted the the areas in the Mediterranean, where he's already gone on many, many missions. And so he plans to move on to a new place. He wants to go to Spain. And on his way to Spain, he plans to stop off in Rome and visit the believers there. Before he can do that, he has this specific task to do here in Jerusalem. He has to take that collection to the believers there. But as he asks for prayer for this immediate issue in Jerusalem... What is at the back of his mind is that if that goes well, then I'll be able to go off and do what I really feel called to do, namely get to Spain. And joy and refreshment in ministry that he's talking about here often come from doing what we are are passionate about and seeing the long-term effects of our work, seeing it for God's glory. Paul is thinking ahead. He's got a a long-term vision here. He sees new opportunities, And he's including them in his prayer life. And I think that is a great encouragement to us in our prayers because when we pray for specific things, it's always with a bigger goal in sight. If we pray for the smooth planning application for the building project, it's not just so that we can have an easy life, 
It's so that we can get on with the building, get on with doing gospel work in this area. You know, when we prayed for a new youth work leader, for Adam to come, it wasn't just to, to fill a gap in the work, it was to, to enable Paddy to train, to enable Cornerstone to develop, to enable us to do things that we hadn't yet done already, to grow the work. When we pray that the, the summer camps go well, it's not just that the leaders will have an easy time, they won't have any problems, that the, the young people will enjoy themselves, but it's that they will come back passionate about Jesus, that they will have an impact on their friends, that it will be another step into their maturing as faithful servants of Jesus Christ. We need to have that big picture in all of our praying. Otherwise, the danger is that we have this sort of list, like a bit of a a DIY list of jobs to do around the house. Um, You tick them off, and just as soon as you've ticked some off, they're filling up again with another list of things to do, and you never actually finish it. And as you do all those little lists, no one actually can see any difference in your house. You're just maintaining it. And that can be the issue with prayer. If we just pray small prayers rather than the big picture in mind. That is what Paul did. How do these specific prayers contribute to the growth of the gospel? Well, finally, and I don't think it would be right to leave this passage without being very honest about um, Paul's prayers here because my final point is that praying for the ministry of others means accepting that God does not always answer us as we would like. Paul here makes two specific requests that we've looked at, that he'll be rescued from those in Judea who disobey the gospel and that his ministry will be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. And these are, as we've said, so that he will be refreshed in Rome and sent on his way to a further mission work in Spain. But we can look at the book of Acts and we can see how these prayers were answered. And although the second prayer was answered as he wanted, that service was received well by the saints in Jerusalem, the first was not. He wasn't rescued from the unbelievers. He was actually arrested in Jerusalem. He uh, spent the next two years in prison in Caesarea. And if he did get to Spain, it it wouldn't have been until a few years later. Now, he did get to Rome, but um, not in the way he was hoping. He was uh, sent in chains for a hearing before Caesar. And en route, he was involved in yet another shipwreck, which um, nearly cost him his life. And I'm sure when he prayed these prayers, he wouldn't have been expecting these answers. He wouldn't have been wanting these answers. But, but going to Rome in God's timing meant, as it says in Acts 28, he was able to spend two years teaching people there whilst he was under house arrest. And there are many other prayers we read about in the Bible that are, that are not answered in the way the person praying would like. Remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, take this cup from me. But then he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. And that is the amazing thing about prayer and asking others to pray for your ministry and praying for the ministry of others because what God is interested in is us, in our relationship with him. And it is a good job, isn't it, that he doesn't always answer our prayers as we would like because we would probably end up in a real mess most of the time. Also, it wouldn't really be much of a relationship if every time we asked uh, for something and then tagged on a little uh, formula in Jesus' name, 
suddenly outpopped the answer we're looking for. God knows better. And it wasn't part of God's plan that um, Paul would go to Spain at that time. But God was pleased that Paul had that passion for spreading the gospel. And you may have a passion for some area of ministry. It may not be part of God's plan that you actually do that ministry. But what is important is that you are passionate about God's gospel work. As I conclude, let me just say, if we don't pray for the ministry of our fellow Christians, then it's, it's like we're sending them into battle ill-equipped. It's like these generals asking for reinforcements and not sending them. We shouldn't be embarrassed about asking for more prayer, asking for more resources, asking for weapons of prayer. Pray for specific issues, but keep those specific issues in the context of the big picture, of the ultimate aim to grow the gospel, to see unbelieving people become committed followers of Jesus Christ and accept that God may not always answer our prayers as we want him to, but trust in his perfect will because he's more interested in our relationship with him.